I remember somebody once described adenomyosis as the ugly twin sister to endometriosis. But that means that endometriosis would then be the pretty twin sister. And that's not right because endometriosis sucks too. Truth is, adenomyosis is a big burden for a lot of women. And what we traditionally learned as the prototypical patient, like those over 40 or those who are multigravitas, with newer imaging technologies that we have today, we know that that patient profile is just not true because this can actually affect young women as well. So in this podcast, we're going to cover the new up-to-date guidelines and diagnosis in clinical picture as it relates to adenomyosis. This data comes from human reproduction from 2020 and is a great review. And so we're going to summarize that and give you some key points to take away in this session. Just trying to keep everyone up to date on evidence-based practices because medicine moves fast. This is Clinical Pearls. Adenomyosis is a benign gynecological disease characterized by the presence of endometrial glands and stroma within the myometrium. However, in recent years, adenomyosis has turned from a purely histopathological diagnosis into a clinical diagnosis diagnosed by imaging technologies that have improved over the decades. Adenomyosis, remember, is also part of the palm coin phygo classification of causes of abnormal uterine bleeding. The A in palm coin stands for adenomyosis. In the last decade, imaging technologies like MRI and transvaginal ultrasound, both 2D advances and 3D, have become widely available and accessible. These advances have contributed to changes in the epidemiological profile of adenomyosis. Adenomyosis has always been considered the typical disease identified in multi-parous women who have heavy menstrual bleeding and are greater than 40 years of age. However, recently, adenomyosis has become a multifaceted disease diagnosed more and more by non-invasive techniques in young women. These women typically can present with abnormal uterine bleeding, pelvic pain, or infertility, or in some cases, it's actually picked up on 2D or 3D ultrasound, and the patients are actually asymptomatic. Furthermore, adenomyosis is often diagnosed in association with other gynecological comorbidities, like endometriosis, uterine fibroids, or polyps. Even though adenomyosis is seemingly being more and more diagnosed by non-invasive methods, the gold standard, of course, is still a histopathological diagnosis, which means that traditionally you had to look at the entire uterus or a hysterectomy specimen. Adenomyosis is defined as the presence of ectopic endometrial tissue, both glands and stroma, within the myometrium. In severe adeno, this pathological diagnosis is pretty straightforward with evident disease at both gross and microscopic exams. However, in more limited disease, the diagnosis may be difficult with poor inter-observer variability. This concern leads to extreme variation in the prevalence of adenomyosis among different pathologists ranging from 10% up to 88%. Now, in severe adeno, the disease is usually grossly apparent. The uterine corpus is enlarged, even globular in more extreme forms. The enlargement may be diffuse, may predominate in one uterine wall, and it's usually the posterior wall, or it can also be focal, resulting in an ill-defined intramural nodule. 
This enlargement is mainly the consequence of the myometrial smooth muscle hyperplasia or hypertrophy that accompanies that adenomyosis foci. So I actually learned incorrectly that it was the swelling of the glands, if you will, that causes the uterus to enlarge. But it's not. It is the myometrial smooth muscle response to those ectopic endometrial glands and stroma. You see, actually, the endometrial glands are usually inactive as the basalis glands of the utopic endometrium. However, secretory changes may sometimes appear during pregnancy or under progestin treatments. Also, it's not just the endometrial glands that are inactive. The endometrial stroma can also vary in abundance, but these are usually inactive and non-mitotic as well. Again, it's the smooth muscle hyperplasia or hypertrophy that's visible either as gross abnormalities and enlargement of the uterine body or as distinct nodules that give the uterus the abnormal shape. Now, there have been some researchers that have gotten really fancy and gone, look, if the abnormality is at the myometrial endometrial junction, then why don't we do endometrial myometrial junction biopsies in a minimally invasive way like hysteroscopy? Well, that sounds great, right? Now, we're going to cover that a little bit later down the line, but here's the gist of it positive histopathological diagnosis of adenomyosis by biopsies is very difficult because it's very hard to get an adequate specimen. For example, if adenomyosis is present superficially, then yes, you're going to get a hysteroscopic biopsy that may find ectopic glands and stroma in myometrial tissue. However, if the adenomyosis is deep-seated only, obviously you're going to miss that. A false positive diagnosis of adeno can also be made if there's a tangential sampling of the endometrial myometrial interface. So, right now, a diagnosis of adeno from hysteroscopy should be carefully considered as suggestive but cannot truly rule it in or rule it out. And yes, there can be some hysteroscopic characteristics of adenomyosis that can be suggestive just by looking at the endometrial cavity on hysteroscopy. Remember that there's no real guidance, there's no real benchmark of what the hysteroscopic diagnosis of adeno should be. So it's clever, it's innovative, but just a word of caution about that. Before we get into the specifics on diagnosis, I do need to say something about the risk factor profile for adeno, or as I like to call it, patient profiling. Because remember that we can't really box patients into these little categories. It may work for some things, but it doesn't always work for all conditions. And we just have our own internal biases about what to expect based on the kind of patient that we're looking at. So remember to be careful with that. Several risk factors for adeno have been evaluated. However, most of the studies have not correctly been designed to identify any significant increases in the relative risk of the condition. Now, remember that historically, adenomyosis was a typical disease of Paris middle-aged women who had pelvic pain. However, recent ultrasound studies from women that were aged 18 up to 30 years of age showed that adeno features were actually present in more than 30% of these women. Remember, 18 to 30. Similarly, an MRI study on women less than the age of 42 showed that isolated, diffuse adenomyosis actually occurred in up to one-third of the study population. Now, outside of sociodemographic things, there are some historical risk factors that do increase the patient's risk. For example, having multiple prior DNCs, either from repeated miscarriage or from pregnancy terminations, can increase the risk of adeno, and the thought there is 
is that there's mechanical endometrial invasion of the myometrium. Similarly, the history of previous cesarean sections seems to be another risk factor, according to one surgical data set, although some have called that controversial because what was not taken into account is the way that the myometrium or the hysterotomy was closed. Remember, try never to go through and through because you don't want to include the endometrium or at least the endometrial basalis layer in your uterine closure for fear of bringing those glands and stroma into the myometrial base. Man, oh man, we're moving on and we haven't even gotten into our diagnostic stuff, but we're getting close. Now, one of the things that triggers an evaluation like an ultrasound or an MRI is, of course, clinical symptoms. So I just want to touch on these very briefly. Remember that the prototypical or the stereotypical symptoms are abnormal uterine bleeding, with or without pain. The problem is, of course, is that there's other gene conditions that can present the same way, like fibroids or endometriosis, and that's why there's no pathognomonic symptom of adeno. And in some cases, remember that a patient can have ultrasound findings that look like adeno and she's completely asymptomatic. So the clinical pearl is that there is no symptom set that is absolutely pathognomonic of adenomyosis. Now, here's something that we always tend to forget. Well, I'm sorry, I tend to forget. Maybe you don't forget. Because we always concentrate on pelvic pain and abnormal bleeding. Like, ooh, adeno. But there's other things as well, including reproductive failure. Now, remember, reproductive failure as a historical symptom is a big category because that includes both infertility and pregnancy loss, recurrent pregnancy loss. Yeah, there's data that women with adenomyosis have lower conception rates and actually a higher miscarriage rate even after IVF when adenomyosis is a possibility. Now, remember, some of this data is controversial because when did you actually consider it a pregnancy and how did you diagnose adeno? It's just an ultrasound or it's MRI. So there's a lot of people who argue this, but there's no question that the data show a higher chance of reproductive failure, which can include infertility as well as pregnancy loss with adenomyosis. But wait, there's more. The issue of adenomyosis, either alone or in combination with endometriosis, has also been looked at in terms of pregnancy or perinatal outcome. And that's kind of jacked up too. In a retrospective study, the impact of adeno in patients with endometriosis on perinatal outcome was evaluated. The incidence of small for gestational age babies in women with endo alone was 10%, but it was 40% in patients with endometriosis and diffuse adeno diagnosed by an imaging method. Also, another study looked at the presence of ultrasound characteristics and or MRI changes to the uterus that look like adeno and found an increased rate of preterm delivery in patients who have adenomyosis and also an increased rate of preterm premature rupture of membranes. So what's the takeaway here? This is not just a gynecology issue. Endometriosis and adenomyosis generally thought to be a result of an increase in the local and systemic inflammatory pathways have been linked to adverse perinatal outcomes, usually small for gestational age, preterm birth, or PPROM. 
Podcast family, we still have to cover clinical examination and imaging, specifically ultrasound and MRI. But we're going to do that in the next section. Ah, you see, you thought I was going to do everything at once. But the podcast becomes too long and nobody can listen to something really for more than 10, what, 15 minutes. So I think we're going to cut this short here and we're going to come back and talk about clinical examination and imaging for adenomyosis. Thanks for being part of our podcast family, and we'll see you next time on the continuation of adenomyosis on Clinical Pearls.